Well, good morning, and once again, a very happy New Year's Eve. Thank you so much for joining us here at Calvary. Uh, my name is Dagny. I'm one of the pastors here, and whether you are joining us in the room, whether you're worshiping with us over in our chapel or joining us online from anywhere else in the world, we're just so grateful uh, to come together for one final time in 2023 and to kick off 2024 together as well. Uh, now, we just finished Christmas, and for many, many years, my family has watched the movie A Christmas Story on Christmas Day, uh, but this has never exactly been intentional. Uh, it happens every year, though, because as I'm sure many of you know, A Christmas Story plays on repeat for 24 hours straight on Christmas Day on several television stations. And so after a morning of having breakfast together, opening gifts... We start to wander in and out of the living room. Some of us fall asleep on the couch. Some of us snore a little louder than others. And we wake up to get more treats. All the while, this movie is on rotation on the TV. And we would certainly miss portions of the movie because we're walking in and out, we're falling asleep. But that was never a problem because we knew that the scene we missed would always come back around. We've watched it so many times over the years that we can mouth the words during our favorite scenes, we can anticipate the jokes and the punchlines, and of course we all laugh right on cue when little Ralphie hears over and over again, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, over and over and over again. Now I tell this story because it is around this time every year that I become very aware of repetition. Commercials on TV repeat constantly. Holiday movies are still on repeat. The same songs play over and over again on the radio. And I think a really big one is our New Year's resolutions. How many of us are making the same resolution this year that we made last year? And maybe the year before that? And maybe, if we're honest, the year before that too? I know for me, my New Year's resolutions sound pretty much the same every year, and I doubt that I am alone in that. See, I think in general, repetition has a pretty bad reputation. When things are repeated too often, they can start to fall on deaf ears. Or when something is repeated too often, it's easy for us to gloss over it or to not pay attention because we've heard it before. Or sometimes we even become annoyed and resentful of repetition. But despite that reality, despite our general distaste for repetition, the truth is that repetition is and always has been one of the most powerful avenues for growth and development in our lives. Think about it. As students, we study by repetition, not reputation. We learn through repeating for those of us who play instruments, it's through practice and repetition that we become more skilled. Or if you play a sport, it's through the repetition of drills that your strength grows and you become more confident in your abilities. Physical therapy develops strength and healing through repetitive movements. And it's even through repetition that we each learned to walk and speak and use our hands and our fingers. Repetition has also been used by writers and thinkers for thousands of years as a powerful tool for storytelling and teaching. Hearing and reading and being told the same thing over and over again can help us to remember and internalize important information and key themes and even helps us associate one thing with another. 
Well, when I was still in elementary school, I remember when I first started to notice the repetitive nature of the Bible. I remember learning about the Gospels in Sunday school, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and noticing that a lot of the stories were the same in each one. And I wondered, why is the same story told twice, or even three and four times? This large-scale repetition of important stories can be found in several instances, of course, in the Gospels, but I think also of the Ten Commandments that are repeated in Exodus 20 and then again in Deuteronomy 5. Or again, in the Old Testament, large portions of entire books are repeated, passages from First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. But why? Why so much repetition? Well, as I got a little older, I started to see that the repetition in Scripture wasn't just the big, important stories, but that the Bible also contains many examples of smaller, repeated phrases or ideas and themes, and even specific commands. As a kid, I didn't really understand why there was so much repetition, but even so, I figured there must be a reason for it. There must be a purpose behind this repetition. Why does the Bible repeat itself so much? And perhaps even more importantly, why does God repeat himself? I want you to take a moment and think about what might be some of the most repeated phrases in scripture. The answers might actually surprise you. The most repeated phrases in scripture have nothing to do with prohibitions or warnings They're not about power or money or idolatry. No, the most repeated phrases in scripture actually have to do with joy. More than anything else, God, through his word and in some slight variations, tells us to be joyful in him and to pursue him with joy. He says, praise the Lord. He says, fear not. He says, rejoice. And he says, give thanks. Now, before we get too far into it, I need to mention that the most repeated phrases or the most repeated commands in scripture are not actually the most important commands in scripture. Jesus himself tells us in the gospel of Mark that the most important commandments are that we love God with our hearts, our souls, our minds, and all our strength and that we love our neighbors as ourselves. These are the most important commands given to us directly from God himself, and there is no doubt or question about that. But the most repeated phrases and commands certainly must mean something important too. When God repeats himself, we would be wise to listen carefully. And if we pay careful and close attention, I think we'll begin to recognize that oftentimes the most repeated commands in scripture are actually a means of obeying the most important commands. Let me say that one more time. God's most repeated commands are actually a means of obeying his most important commands. For the rest of our time this morning, we'll explore a little more what I mean by that by taking a look at those four repeated phrases that I mentioned. And we'll start with the phrase, praise the Lord. 
The words praise the Lord or praise God appear upwards of 250 times throughout the Bible. And yet, as common as praising the Lord is in scripture, it is so easy to misunderstand what it really means or what it really asks of us. Imagine for a moment that you wanted to show some praise to your earthly father. Would you come up to him and simply say the words, praise dad? Yeah, probably not. Your dad would look at you funny. No, if you wanted to show praise to your dad, you might say something like, dad, you are a man of love and of compassion. Or you might say, dad, I really appreciate the fact that you always take the time to listen to me. Let's look at how it's used in scripture. In Psalm 117, it says, praise the Lord for his merciful kindness is great toward us and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Or in Isaiah 25, we read, I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Or in Jeremiah 20, it says, praise the Lord for he has delivered the poor, the life of the poor from the hands of the evildoers. When scripture tells us to praise God, It's not because he's after our empty lip service while our hearts wander off somewhere else. No, God commands us to look at him and to see him through all that he has revealed about himself to us until we see his glory, his greatness and his goodness, a glory that outweighs and permeates all of the corrupt and painful and distracting things clamoring for our attention and a glory that produces so much awe-filled joy that we can't help but express ourselves through praise. This response of praise not only glorifies God and gives him pleasure, but it also lovingly points others to see and experience the same glory that we know to be true. By giving us a command to praise him, God is also providing for us a way to point others to him, which is an extremely great act of love to our neighbor. This repeated command, praise the Lord, is a means of obeying his most important command. By praising God, we both love him and our neighbor as well. The next repeated phrase we'll look at is fear not. Now I have to admit that I have not personally counted each and every repetition of this phrase, and I assume it varies somewhat between different translations and different languages, but I've read from multiple sources that there are around 365 uses of the phrase fear not throughout the Bible. And seeing as there are 365 days in a year, or 366 in 2024, leap year, woohoo. This is a daily reminder, 365 times. This is a daily reminder and a command to not be afraid. Now, I think it's safe to say that each one of us is familiar with fear. Some of us fear economic ruin or political upheaval or disease. Others of us are afraid to share our faith or to give our money away. And yet others of us are afraid to try something new or we're afraid of rejection or loneliness and even death. There are so many things in this world to be afraid of. 
I also think it would be safe to say that much of our fear is rooted in distrust. We hesitate to take God at his word when he says, I am with you. I will take care of you. You are mine. But that is the promise that we are invited to remember in the words, fear not. We first hear God say, fear not to Abram. Before his name was changed to Abraham in Genesis 15, it says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. We see it again in places like Joshua 1.9 that says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In Isaiah 43, it says, This is what the Lord says, He who created you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Or in the New Testament, Mark 5, 36, simply says, Do not be afraid, but believe. When God commands us to be afraid, he invites us to remember his promises, to cling tightly to the reality of his faithfulness and his goodness and his character. When God calls us to fear not, he is also calling us to trust in him, to express a trusting love, knowing that he is with us and that he will take care of us until we experience the paralyzing effects of fear melting away and our courage and confidence rising. This bold confidence in God is not only an expression of trusting love in him, answering the command to love him with our heart and our soul and our mind, but it also makes us available to be loving and encouraging to those around us who also suffer fear. When we have hope, when our hope and our trust is firmly placed in God, we can't help but comfort and encourage those around us with that same comfort and courage that we find in him. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive in God. By surrendering our fear and instead clinging to the hope and the trust that we have in God and his promises, we demonstrate a great love toward him and open ourselves up to encourage and uplift and love those around us too. This repeated command to fear not is a means of obeying the most important commands to love God and to love our neighbor. Well, next, scripture repeatedly tells us to rejoice. Now, on the surface, Paul's words in Philippians 4 seem quite simple and straightforward. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. But when we really start to dig into it, this phrase raises a huge pile of questions. Is it really possible to rejoice always? Am I supposed to walk around with a perpetual smile on my face? Is it a sin to be sad? Am I supposed to simply deny pain or sorrow? 
Let's take a quick look at some other examples of the command to rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. Or one of my favorites from Habakkuk 3, which says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive oil fail and the field yield no food, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Rejoicing in the Lord always does not mean that we will never feel sad or hurt. In fact, scripture is extremely realistic about the fact that we will face sorrow and hardship and brokenness. But the repeated call to rejoice is a call to an attitude of contentment and hope that transcends circumstances. The command to rejoice is about remembering that no matter what happens, no matter where we find ourselves, nothing will separate us from God's great love. Romans 8.38 says, Neither death nor life, nothing in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Romans 8.28 says, that God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God in his goodness will rescue us from every evil deed and ultimately bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. And so when we are called and reminded to rejoice, it is in that truth that we are to dwell. It is in that reality that we are to rejoice always. We express our love for God when we faithfully rest in his sovereign reign over all things, both the sweet and the bitter. See, the Christian life is a walk of faithful love, not of feeling. It is a life of trusting in things that are unseen, not of simply being in touch with how we feel. I love what it says in 1 Peter It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. What's amazing, though, is that spirit-awakened and spirit-filled joy is not short-sighted and does not mean that we have a limited amount of love or attention, or compassion to put elsewhere. Spirit-awakened joy in the Lord does not hinder our love for others, but actually produces an overflow of love for others. Confidence and joy in Christ has a built-in impulse to expand, meaning that joy in the Lord, rejoicing in God's promise to never leave us or forsake us, that can't help but pour out into our relationships with our families and with our friends And with our neighbors. Paul says it best in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 when he is telling the church in Corinth about the church in Macedonia and what they did for their community. He says, In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
rejoicing in the Lord not only demonstrates a deep love for him, but cannot help but overflow in a deep love for others as well. And finally, the repeated phrase, give thanks. Isaiah 12, 4 through 5 says, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the people. 1 Chronicles 16, 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 7, 17. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. The command to give thanks isn't like when we're told, say thank you, after you receive a disappointing gift when you're little, like when you wanted the special toy, but you got a pair of socks. No, when we receive the command to give thanks, God invites us to look past the things that frustrate us, that anger us, that disappoint us, and to focus instead on his all-sufficient and abounding grace. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. Notice that it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. There is no denying that we will find ourselves in situations and trials and temptations for which we are not thankful. Maybe you find yourself in one now, or you'll find yourself in one in the coming year. But God calls us to give thanks even in the midst of them. To recall his promises to us and the faithfulness that he demonstrates day after day, week after week, and year after year. When we turn to God with eyes that see his grace and with a trust in his wise purposes, loving thankfulness rises to the surface and begins to push out our negative grumbling and replaces it with lasting peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It is completely normal and human to respond with anxiety and grumbling and even fear when we are in uncertain circumstances. But when we actively turn to God with faith and thanksgiving for the grace that he has poured out and all that he has promised us and provided for us already, our gratitude-inspired peace, much like joy, overflows to everyone that we interact with. See, thankfulness in God cultivates contentment and confidence, and celebrates the goodness and the greatness of God. And that fruit, the fruit of peace and of confidence and joy, can't help but grow and spread when it is nourished and tended. True thankfulness, therefore, is both an expression of deep and lasting love for God and for our neighbor. God repeats himself on purpose. And when he does, it's important that we pay attention. But not only should we pay attention, we should also respond, like Reagan said, with faith and obedience and action. When God says, praise the Lord, 
Let us lift up a shout of praise for who God is. When God says, fear not, let us boldly let go of our fear. When God says, rejoice, let us truly and wholly rejoice always. And when God says, give thanks, let us respond with remembering and thanksgiving for all that he has done. His repeated commands are not a burden or a tiresome checklist that we have to complete in order to call ourselves good Christians or to get a star put next to our names. No, God's commands are an opportunity to show our love and our devotion to the creator who loves us and saves us and promises to never leave us. In 1 John chapter 5, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. As we enter into 2024 together as the body of Christ, I invite you to imagine what this next 12 months could look like if we each made these repeated commands our New Year's resolutions. Rather than repeating old resolutions that seem to become a burden or fall on deaf ears come February 1st, or repeating the same excuses as we did last year as to why our resolutions may have failed, what if instead we turned our eyes to what God repeatedly calls us to and asks of us? How could that change our relationships and how we interact with our friends or our coworkers? How would that start to impact our jobs or where we invest our time and our money? As I said earlier, it's easy to start to gloss over or even resent things that are too often repeated to us, but repetition doesn't have to mean burden. And that's certainly not the goal of God's repeated commands. God repeats himself to us so that we might grow and develop and practice and root ourselves in confident, faithful response to him. In Psalm 19, David says that the commands of our Lord are to be desired more than gold because they bring us more joy and hope and peace than gold ever could. And that keeping God's commands is sweeter than honey and that their reward is far greater than any precious thing in the world. And God not only desires that joy and that abundance for us, but he made it available to us through his son and by the power of his Holy Spirit. On our own, we would fail time and time again to keep his commandments and follow him closely, but mercifully, we are not on our own. God sent his spirit to help us and teach us and equip us and go with us. And today on the eve of a new year, is the perfect time to receive and accept it. That is why 
the Bible is filled with repetition. Why God reiterates his will and his commands over our lives. Why stories of his son are repeated throughout the pages of his word and why there are countless references to God's people praying always, giving thanks continuously and praising God without ceasing. It is because God's provision never runs out, never leaves us on our own, and because it is never too late to respond in faith. His call and his invitation to love him and love our neighbors is new every single morning. The call to respond with praise and to let go of fear and to rejoice and to give thanks in all circumstances is repeatedly offered to us today and in the coming year and forever. And so my prayer this year is that we would be a people who respond in faith and in obedience repeatedly as well. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for the start of a brand new year and for the reality that your call upon our lives is new each morning. God, thank you for your gracious repetition and that your commands are not a burden to us, but that they are a joy. Help us to become more aware of your commands, God, and give us the strength to respond in action and in faith. God, help us to love you and to love our neighbor more. And show us the way to let go of fear and the way to praise your name and the way to give thanks for all that you have done for us and guide us, Lord, as we move into this new year. Walk with us and strengthen us as we go from here this morning, Lord. And we pray this all in the powerful, merciful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.